Turn with me to Psalm 66. We've been ministering this week in our week of increase on the subject of your wealthy place. Psalm 66, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. How many know sometimes you ought to make some noise? Right? Lift your voice. Turn up the volume. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Glorious. Say to God, how terrible are you in your works. Through the greatness of your power shall your enemies submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and shall sing to you. They'll sing to your name. Selah. Come and see the works of God. He's terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Now keep that in mind. Let not the what? The rebellious exalt themselves Oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Well, that's got to be out loud if somebody else is going to hear it, right? Which holds our soul in life and suffers not our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have proved us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction upon our loins. You go back and see how that they missed him and they did rebel against him. And they went through all this stuff. Verse 12, you caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But that wasn't the end. But you brought us out into a wealthy place. How many like the sound of that? Listen to another translation. The NIV says, we went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. The New King James says, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Literally, the word means well-filled. Well-filled. The living says, we went through fire and flood. But in the end, you brought us into wealth and great abundance. Amen. There's some tests to pass. And the faith life doesn't mean that you'll never have any challenges. Doesn't mean you never have any trials. What it does mean, if you won't quit, if you won't give up, you'll always overcome. You'll triumph. And even, you know, Phyllis and I can say, we've been through some things. But he brought us out. Amen. Amen. He brought us out. Into where? Into our wealthy place. A place of abundance. Does God have a place for you? A place of wealth. A place of richness. A place of fulfillment and contentment. Fruitfulness. Abundance. If you've been in a place of lack. Don't be content to stay there. If you've been in a place of barely get along and just eat by and, well, we, we barely made it some way, somehow, don't be content to stay there because God's got another place for you. I said, God's got another place for you. He's got a wealthy 
place. Wealthy place. Everybody said out loud, my wealthy place. God has a wealthy place for me. Now sure, that includes money. That includes material things. But how many understand it includes a lot more than that? Real wealth. Real spiritual fulfillment. Soulical satisfaction. Mental peace. Physical Health and physical prosperity. A wealthy place. Just a well-filled place. A place of satisfaction. It's not God's will that people go through life tormented and unfulfilled. The Bible said, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spout. Sometimes people say, I just feel like there's more. I'm just unsatisfied. I feel like there's more. You know why you feel that way? Because there's more. Right? If there was no deep out here to answer, there wouldn't be a deep in here calling to it. Did you hear me? And it's sad that people say, well, maybe I'm just expecting too much. Maybe I'm just asking, maybe I ought to just be satisfied with what I got. No, be thankful for what you got, but don't be content to sit and stay where you are forever. No, dream big. Think big. Ask big. So big, claim big, step out big, because you got a God who is. He's big, and as big as you can think, and as big as you can ask, He's able to do exceeding abundantly above that. Right? Never have I come before the Lord to claim something in faith. Never have I come and prayed and asked for something that was substantial. And the Lord said to me, Whoo! How much? Never. Never. How many say you cannot impress him with numbers? You cannot shock him with a bill. People pray that way. They come and fall down and go, oh God, oh God, did you see that bill? I gotta have this much money by the end of the week. And I guess they think the Lord says, how much? Whoo. Michael Gable, did you know about this? Well, y'all tell me about this big bill coming up. Are you kidding? He makes planets. <laughs> when you make planets, a million dollars, a billion dollars, a trillion dollars just don't even phase you. <laughs> You're just like, I have had him ask me this numerous times. Is that all? <laughs> And sometimes I've had to say, well, that's, yes, sir, that's about all I can believe for right now. But that's not all he can do. Right? And we ought to be feeding our faith all the time so that instead of thinking such piddly, such small things, we think big. We reach out big and we think big and we believe big and talk big. One thing that will help you get there, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And if you'll begin to talk big, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to your friend about big stuff. We're going to do big stuff. It may look so remote. It may look so far from where you are. But that's how you get there. Start talking. Oh, God's talking to some people right here, right now. Now, this is the step you take. Talk big. Talk so big that people that don't understand faith will think you're nuts. And don't purposely talk around them. Don't purposely talk in front of them. But if they were to hear you, they'd laugh and think, yeah, right. 
Look at you. I mean, you can't even afford a new lawnmower. And you're going to do what? And you're going to give what? And you go, No, listen. God is thrilled and pleased with your faith. It honors him. It honors him. You know, I heard a story some years ago, and it stuck with me. It was back uh, centuries and centuries ago about a man who was king over a broad, huge kingdom. And this man had requested an audience with him, and they granted it to him. And he came in, and the king said, what do you want? And he asked for something that was so big that all the uh, council and cabinet of the king gasped. They could not believe this man asked this. It was huge. It was gigantic. And all of the king's court just gasped and looked at him and looked at the king like, how dare you ask such a big thing? And everything was quiet. And the king said, granted. And the guy smiled. And they escorted him out of the uh, court. And now the court's more shocked than ever. They never thought he'd grant such a huge request to this man. And as he was leaving, one of his closest advisors said, Oh, king, pardon the question, but why did you grant this man such a huge thing? King said, The magnitude of his request honored me. He must have believed I was a great king. He must have believed I could do big things. Or he wouldn't have asked such a big thing. Well, let's go ahead and honor the Lord. Right? Let's honor him with the magnitude of our request and our thinking and our sowing and our believing and our claiming and our confessions and our prayers. Let's honor him. How many understand a little piddly thinking and a little piddly request don't honor the greatness of our God? Stretch out, reach out. Because he has for us a wealthy, broad, one translation said well-watered, moist, well-filled place of abundance. Now we began, uh, what was it on Sunday night? We talked about how this place is a God-ordained place. And then last night we talked about how that our place, our wealthy place, is a God-joined place. God has set the members, the Bible said, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And then we saw in Ephesians that all of the members joined together and knitted together in their place. There is a supply of the spirit that flows through the joints and through one body part to another body part. It all comes from the head, but so many things are going to come to us. We will get some things directly from the head, but so many things are going to come to us through other body parts that God has hooked us up with. God's joined us with. How many can look back over your life and see certain ministers and ministries and churches and believers that so much of what you got, it came from God, but it came through them. Right? right? Now, you don't give them the glory for it. They're a vessel. But what if you hadn't been hooked up with them? then that flow wouldn't have come from the head through them to you. And so we spent quite a bit of time last night talking about how important it is that we value these connections and that we do not let the devil uh, drive wedges between us and cause strife between us so that we're severed and separated from these God-joined relationships and communion. 
Now tonight, let's go on to another area. Are you ready? Good. Uh, go with me, if you would, to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. Find Deuteronomy 26 and then find Hebrews 3. So we can go from the Old Testament to the New Testament back and forth. Deuteronomy 26 and Hebrews 3. God has for us a wealthy place. Wealthy place. In talking about this wealthy place, it's not hard for us to find this place. God hasn't made it hard for us to find his will. It's sad that so many Christians believe the will of God is hard to find. So many Christians believe The will of God is this very mysterious, obscure thing. And if you were spiritual enough and walked with the Lord closely for 40 years, you might find out part of it. But that's not true. That's not true at all. God's not interested in hiding his will from us. He's not interested in making it difficult or obscure. It's exactly like a parent and a child. Does a parent try to hide their will from their child? Certainly not. Will they tell them? Certainly. Does the child have to go around scared all the time that they might not know mama's will? Or they might not know daddy's will? Hmm? You ever seen a young, you know, child or a teenager, even a daughter or son sitting on the stairwell with their head in their hands? Just going, I just don't know if I'm going to find out daddy's will. I just don't know. I'm trying, but I don't know if I'm going to find mama's will for me. Mm -mm. No. Why? Because you've got a relationship. Right? Mama's going to tell you. Daddy's going to tell you. That's not the issue. God's going to tell us. He is telling us. He is showing us all the time. That's not the problem. From the time a person gets born again, if they'll just follow what they know, if they'll just walk in the light that they have, And do what they see and do what they know. God will lead you from point A to B. And from step to step. And he'll keep you right on his course. He'll keep you right in his will. You don't have to worry about it or fear about it. He'll do it. I said he'll do it. Years ago I saw this. Because you know the devil is such a liar. Such a deceiver. Such a tricker. And he wants you to believe that you can't find the will of God. And that you ain't spiritual enough to know the will of God. He's a liar. I said, he's a liar. I, you know, and what it does, it puts the focus on you. The focus is on me and my ability to hear from God. The focus is on me and do I have enough faith? Am I sensitive enough? Am I, 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 I? And of course, you focus on you and the devil will show right up and say, no, you ain't. <laughs> you don't have enough faith. You're not sharp enough. You don't know enough word. You know, he'll always tell you no. But he's a liar. I said he's a liar. He's a deceiver. Don't believe him. Don't listen to that stuff. You know, you don't have to wait till you see somebody in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork to know it's the devil messing with you. If it discourages you, if it takes the wind out of your sails, it's the devil. Did you hear me? God's not discouraging you. God's not telling you you can't. Right? 
God's not telling you you're not smart enough, you're not able enough. You don't, he's not telling you those things. He's telling you you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God's things and God's words and every message that's from God, every sermon that's from God, every book, every tape, every TV show that's from God is going to put something into you. It's not just going to take things out of you. Even if you get corrected, and the Lord will correct you now, but even if you get corrected, even if you get a real good spanking, when it's over, you feel good about it. Because <laughs> you think, man, I was messing up. I needed that. And now I see what to do. And now I got it sorted out. And we're going to go on and do this thing. Right? The Word of God encourages you. The Spirit of God encourages you. And so uh, in talking about these things, the devil will try to convince you you can't find it. You can't know it. It's a lie. I, like I said, I became convinced when I saw this years ago, man, it laying in the floor praying. It just got all over me and I got happy and I got to cry. You ever cried a happy cry and then laughing too. And I stood up from there and I said, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And what do I mean by that? Because I saw that my faith is not just in me to make it. My faith is in him. And my faith is in his love for me. Oh, are you listening now? And I became convinced Keith's going to make it. What do you mean? I'm going to make it. I'm going to do my job on the earth. I'm going to run my race. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to hit the finish line. And do what I was put down here to do. And I'm going to stand before the Lord and hear, well done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. So why do you say that? Because I have faith in God's love for me. He loves me. He loves you. What do you mean, Brother Keith? Well, if I'm not getting it, he'll tell me again. And if I didn't get it that time, he'll tell me again. And if I didn't get it, he'll crank up the volume for me. And if I didn't get it that time, he'll send three people by to say, Hey, Keith, you're not paying attention. Look at this over here. And if I fall down, he'll pick me up. And if I go the wrong way, he'll say, Hey, hey, no, not that way, this way. Right? He will do it. Do you believe that? So say it out loud. I will make it. Because God loves me. See, parents, you love your kids. You're not going to stand by and them ignorantly going off into destruction. And you say, yeah, but I can't reveal my will to them. They're going to have to find out for themselves, you know. And No, you're going to tell them. A lot of times parents tell them too much. But the son and daughter, they don't have to be concerned. You know, mama's going to tell you. Daddy's going to tell you. No, that's not what you do. You do this. That's not what we want you to do. We want you to do this. Well, your father loves you more than your natural parents. And he's not hiding from you his will and his plan. He is all the time, thank God, the Holy Spirit's inside you 24 hours a day, revealing to you, showing you, guiding you into his perfect will and plan, which will get you to the ultimate place in the body of Christ, which is your wealthy place. Your wealthy place. So then why then are so many people not in their place? If that's true, and it is, it's true. Why are so many people not in their place? Because there are so many Christians that are out of their place. And they're certainly, you can look at their life. They're not in a wealthy place. They're not in a place of satisfaction. They're not in a place of fruitfulness. Well, there's a reason. 
There's more than one, but there's a substantial one that we're going to look at tonight. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter. Deuteronomy 26. Said, verse 7. Deuteronomy 26, 7. When we cried to the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. That's talking about when they were in Egypt. The Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he has brought us into this place. What place was that? It was Canaan's land. Was Canaan's land a wealthy place? Oh, yeah. Are you ready to shout some tonight? Yeah, you ought to get ready. He said, you brought us out of that other place. Was Egypt the place God had for them? No. What was Egypt a place of? Place of bondage. Right? It was a place of bondage. And it was a place where they did not worship God. They worshipped all the junk that the Egyptians worshipped in there. If you go back and study it, you'll see uh, many of them were worshipping the river God and the sun God and all these other things. It was a place where people were not walking in their covenant. They were not obeying. It was a place of ungodliness. Egypt's a type of the ungodly world. And in the place of, how many stand Christians have got no business living in the place of ungodliness? Anybody remember the first Psalm? Huh? Well, just hold your place there. Turn over there and look at it. I could quote some of it to you, but let's just read it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. How many of there are folk you ought not run with? The folks you ought not listen to? Folks you ought not go in business with? Right? Because they don't serve God and they don't fear God. They don't have faith in God. They don't respect the things of God. Right? And they're not for you. They'll get you in a bad place if you follow them. He said, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Today we have all the word of God. And in his law or word does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does. Shall. Prosper. That's the Bible. Does that sound like being in a wealthy place? Moist place. Well watered. Well filled. Prosper. Does that sound like a life that's satisfying to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. But Egypt wasn't that place. Egypt was the place of ungodliness. You have to beware. The devil is very subtle and crafty. We ought to beware of what we watch and what we listen to and where we go and what we get involved in because the the Lord said this to me some years ago. I wrote it down. The first tolerance is the first step to conformity. Tolerance is the first step to conformity. What do you mean? Well, you didn't say you agreed with it, but you let it go. And when you let it go, you just took a step toward becoming like that. 
So the devil knows. I mean, you know, most anybody that really loves God and cares about God, he puts blatant ungodliness and sin and say, do this. You're not going to do it. Right? But what he does is try to come little by little by little by little. Well, look at that. Well, that's not good. But, you know, it's not that bad. And so you let it go and you let it go and you let it go. And next thing you know, you're like it. You become like that. Tolerance is the first step toward conformity. And people can call us. Holier than thou, they can call us do-gooders, they can call us goody-goody two-shoes, but there's a whole lot of things we ought to draw the line on and say, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't all right. No, I'm not doing that, I'm not getting involved in that, I'm not going there, I'm not listening to that, I'm not watching that. Well, you think you're too good to go with me? No, I like you just fine, but yeah, I'm too good for that. Hmm? No. The Lord said that he is of holier eyes than to view some things. And we are his offspring. We need to talk about holiness. We need to think about these things. What does it mean, separation? There are a lot of things that will defile you in this world. They'll contaminate your faith. They'll defile your walk with God. Ungodliness. Egypt's a type of that ungodliness. They don't fear God. They don't worship God. They don't respect God. See, a lot of times we haven't even thought right about these things. When you come across people and they have no fear of God and no respect of God at all, that's a problem. You understand? Well, they're not, you know, breaking the law. They don't believe in God. They don't respect Him at all. That's not okay. Right? He gives us our next breath. He's our God, he's our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our sustainer. It's not okay to say, well, I don't even believe in God. Well, you got a problem. Yes. Right? Amen. And he said that if you, you know, you don't stand in those places, you don't sit in those places, you don't operate in those things, you come apart from that, you separate from that, you get in the place God has for you, you'll be like a tree who's got roots all the way into the rivers, and man, no matter what comes in life, you don't even have a leaf that fades. Amen. Now, I mean, the world around you is drying up, but not you, you put out four new branches. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And next season it's eight. Yeah. Right? And you just increase and increase and increase. Why? Because you are in your wealthy place. Egypt was not their wealthy place. It was a place of ungodliness. But God said, I got a place for you. I got a place for you. Go back to Deuteronomy 8. Read about it. Well, are you in Deuteronomy 6? 26? Read verse 9 before you go back. Excuse me. Are you Deuteronomy 26 now? Verse 9. He brought us into this place and he's given us this land, even a land that flows with milk and honey. And then they bring, if you read the whole chapter, they're bringing in some chunk offerings, brother. They're bringing in wagon loads. Well, they're driving up the blessing truck. They said, look here, how God has blessed us. Somebody said, what's that? What's that big load of stuff? That's my tithe. Oh, that's your tithe? Yeah. Because God then brought me into my wealthy, wealthy place. 
What's that? That's my first fruit. That's my tithe. That's your tithe. That's more than I made last year. Yeah, ain't it good? <laughs> That's your tithe? Yeah, it's my tithe. How many believe in for a big tithe? A big tithe. Big tithe. Big tithe. You got a big tithe. There's a big 90% somewhere too, right? Whoo. If you believe this, it excites you, man. It makes you happy. And if you believe it's going to come to pass, if you won't quit, if you stay after it, it surely must come to pass. It's not the ramblings of Brother Keith. It is the word of the Lord. We're reading scripture right out of the Bible. He said, you brought us into this place. Now back up to the eighth chapter. Let's, he describes the wealthy place. Deuteronomy 8. Thank you, Lord. He said, verse 7, Deuteronomy 8, 7, The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Somebody say, that's me. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills. Now, don't just read this and be stuck just with a natural interpretation and think only about the agrarian society. All of this belongs to all of us right now today. See what he's talking about. I mean brooks and fountains and springs springing out of valleys and hills. Everywhere you go, here springs out a channel. Here springs out another channel. Here springs something else. I mean, you're making more money by accident than other folk are on purpose. God, do you understand God's plan is for you to make ungodly folks jealous? That was mighty weak. I guess a lot of folk didn't know that. Read the scripture sometime. People are supposed to be moved. Moved because of you and going, what are you doing? How do you get that way? (laughs) You said God brought me into a wealthy place. He did what? Wealthy place. But it doesn't come by ignoring him. It comes by following him. He said, it's a land, verse 8, of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and a land of oil, olive, and honey. How many understand that's every good thing in the earth he's talking about? Every good thing. Every good thing. A land where you'll eat bread, what? Without scarceness. Is that the will of God for you? That you operate without scarceness. We don't run tight. We don't come short. Right? No, we always have plenty. We always have excess. We always have leftover. A land where you'll eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it. You won't lack anything in it. Glory to God. Well, now, you know, you understand this. God's place for them, his wealthy place for them, was Canaan's land. He's describing it. That's a wealthy place. But that first generation that came out of Egypt, did they enjoy it? They did not. That whole first generation, with the exception of uh, Caleb and Joshua, perished out there and never got to the wealthy place. 
They came out of the place of ungodliness. And they got into the wilderness. Was the wilderness the wealthy place? No. What was the wilderness the place of? Well, Egypt was the place of abject poverty. I mean, they didn't have a decent place to live. They had rags on their back. They didn't even own their own bodies. They were the property of these people. I mean, total poverty, total lack. But God brought them out of that ungodliness, and he brought them in. Their covenant was restored in their mind, and they came into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had silver and gold. Is that right? God brought them out with silver and gold. But in the wilderness, it was the place of just enough. Right? Every day, the food fell out of the sky, and you didn't have any left over. Right? And next day, it was just enough. It was check to check. Right? Is that God's wealthy place for you? Check to check. But it was the will of God for them to come through there. Did you hear me? So that they might learn to obey Him and learn to trust Him and develop in faith. They were supposed to pass faith tests. And they weren't supposed to stay out there very long. They were supposed to come right on through there, learn their lessons, and come through the place of just enough and faith school and come on into the wealthy place. But they didn't. That first generation did not because they failed the test. And the Bible tells you why. Go back over to Hebrews now because in the New Testament we're given detail. About what happened to them and about why they did not enter into their wealthy place. And we're warned not to be like them. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. Verse 7. Hebrews 3 verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, Today, if you will hear His voice... Harden not your hearts. Let's stop right there. We've described how that the Lord's not trying to keep from us His will. Then why are so many people not in their wealthy place? You're beginning to hear it right here. Why? Hardness. Take teenagers. Take children. Parents telling the child, don't get involved with that. Don't do that. Where would the child get off? Hmm? Begin to harden themselves against the counsel of their elders. Ah, mom and daddy's old-fashioned, old fogey. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not with it. Well, what is that? That is spurning the known will of your mother and father. Right? That is hardening yourself to their instruction and their input. And I understand that is the beginning of problems that will take you down a road of destruction that's exactly the way it is with our father God most people like to think well you know I wouldn't harden myself against God Uh, you probably already have and just didn't call it that I wouldn't rebel against God have you ever sinned Hmm? then what is that You know, sin 
is when you, you know, you rebel against something God told you. You, you refuse to go the way that he said. We all know what this is about, but this is the real issue and problem why people don't get into the place God has for them. It's not because God's will is so hard to find. It's not because he's hiding it from us. It's because people come up to things and this ugly, devilish rebellion comes up. Now, we're going to camp on this some tonight. This is so important, it's so serious, it's so vital. And one thing that I want us to get out of this by the Holy Ghost ministering to us before this is over, you must, you know, not just sit here and nod and say amen, but you must come to understand within yourself so that you can detect rebellion in yourself. If you don't do that, you're just playing games. And don't sit and say, I wish so and so was here. They need to hear this. Well, the Lord knew who was going to be here. And you're here. And I'm here. Right? No. That's one of the huge problems. You know, that people are always looking for somebody else. They want to apply this to somebody else and forget about themselves and presume and act like I've already got it all together. Well, no, no, no. This is part of the nature of your flesh and my flesh. And if you don't deal with it, it'll ruin you. If you don't control it, if you don't keep it under, if you don't deal with it, it'll ruin you. Even the Apostle Paul, who caught up to the third heaven, got all this revelation, walked with God so powerfully, used of God so greatly, he said, I keep under my body. Didn't say he did it one time. I keep this thing under, and I bring it, present tense, into subjection, lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a a castaway, a reject. I should wind up disapproved after I've preached it to others. You understand, preachers got to understand. We're especially anointed to teach and preach these things. We are not especially anointed to live it. You gotta live it just like everybody else. Right? And that's why sometimes people act so confused if they see a preacher fall or preacher mess up. Somebody said, how could that happen? Well, how could it happen to you? Biggest problem with ministers is that they're like you. It is. Human got flesh. I mean, any preacher, myself, anybody, you know, I can yield to the flesh anytime I decide to. Instead of coming here tonight, I could have said, I ain't going to church. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to go do some drugs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I could have. I got a free will. Right? But Keith ain't stupid. And I ain't falling for the devil's junk. Oh, he paints a good picture. But he don't show you the next page. Does he? Oh, he paints a nice billboard. Oh, you the man. You the man. You got two beautiful strange women, one on each arm. You got your gold on. You know, you partying. You the man. You the life of the party. You got money. You got stuff. He don't show you the next page. He don't show you when the money's gone, the friends are gone. He don't show you lonely in a hospital room. No friends, no family, incurable disease. 
Did you hear me? He will show you that. He will show you that. I tell you what. With God, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And he adds, no, there ain't no sorrow with it. None. It's just all good, all blessing. Mm. So I could, but I'm not. And you need to learn this when the enemy messes with you and tempts you. Even the most holy saint of God has found at times thoughts, feelings, suggestions come to them that are unholy and wrong and impure. That does not mean you have sinned. Did you hear me? Temptation to sin is not sin. Hmm? If it is, Jesus sinned. Certainly he did not. But was he tempted? The Bible said he was tempted in all points, just like us. But did he sin? No. Why? He was tempted, he was pulled, but he didn't yield to it. He didn't give in to it. Same thing with you and I. You might be pulled, you might be tempted, but if you don't give in to it. Now, didn't you say if you don't do it, I understand you can give in to thoughts. Something come to your mind. That doesn't mean you can just sit there and think on it and fantasize all day and you haven't sinned. Yeah, you have missed it because you did give in to it. Right? And you keep doing that, you will act on it. You do it long enough, you'll act on it. But no, no, just because you've been tempted doesn't mean that you sinned. And, you know, uh, I heard this some years ago and it stuck with me about this. This fellow said that uh, he was up on this huge skyscraper. A friend of his took him up there, wanted him to see the view from up there. He said, man, hey, I forget how many floors it was, but he got up there and he got on this little bitty balcony and he stepped out there and he looked over. He said, man, the cars look like they're about that big and the people, you know, and he's standing there looking and this thought came to him just kind of out of the blue. Why don't you jump? <laughs> Why don't you jump? He said, you jump. <laughs> I ain't stupid. I thought, that's excellent. That's excellent because he's recognizing the source of this. This is not coming from the inside of him. This is coming from out here. But so many Christians, bless their hearts, they don't understand that. And they'd stand there and grip the rail and go, why am I thinking about jumping? The devil will say, you're suicidal. I'm not, am I, am I suicidal? Have I, you got a spirit of suicide. I do. I didn't think I did. You got two. (laughs) (laughs) What? No, no. Well, you're thinking about jumping, aren't you? I guess. Well, what would you call that? Oh, my Lord. I'm suicidal. You see what I'm talking about? How easily duped so many Christians are. Huh? Same kind of thing. Thoughts come to somebody and they go, oh my, I'm homosexual. Oh my, I'm a lesbian. Oh my, I'm an adulterer. Oh my, I'm a thief. 
No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. When a thought comes to you, a feeling comes to you, a suggestion comes to you, what do you do? Casting down every imagination, right? Bringing into captivity every thought. What do you say? Thought comes to you. Whoo, look at that person. Well, won't you go hit on them? Maybe you could get, get something going on. You say, shut up. I ain't stupid. Right? You jump. I ain't dumb. Did you get that? Man, this will help you. This will save you so much problems. Look at there. There's some money right there. Won't you just pick it up? Put it in your pocket. Won't you just go ahead and get it? You say, shut up. Shut up. See, that's not coming from the inside of you. That's not coming from the Holy Ghost. That's coming from the enemy of your soul from out here, bringing thoughts and feelings. You don't have to feel guilty or bad or ashamed that that thought came to you. You didn't produce that. It came from him. He brought it to you, and you just say, no, 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 I'm not that stupid. Get out of here. Get out of here. No, and then assert yourself and say, no, this is what I am, and this is what I do, and I'm not going to yield to that today or tomorrow or ever. No, get out of here. Get out of here. And if it comes a thousand times in a day, what do you do? Same thing. Say, no, I told you no last time, and it's no this time. How many understand it's not okay if you say no 98 times and 99 you say yes? That's what the enemy's counting on, wear you down. If it was no last time, what is it next time? No. No. No, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no, I'm not going to yield. Because you'll, you know, all of us have been tempted, and it's not as Jesus Himself was tempted in all points, just like us, but without sin, He didn't yield. That proves we don't have to. I said that proves we don't have to. Sometimes people will tell you, you know, I've had people sit across my desk before and just crying and going, well, Brother Keith, I mean, they've had an affair. They've done this. They've done that. They've lied. They've stolen. Brother Keith, it was just bigger than the both of us. I mean, next thing I knew, it had happened. Uh Uh-uh. No, I don't buy it. Not today and not tomorrow. Did you hear me? No, because the Bible says there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, Right? But God is faithful. He will not suffer or allow you to be tempted or tested above what you're able. But will with the temptation make a way where you can escape? What does that mean? He will not allow anything temptation-wise to come that is overpower you. He won't allow it. So if it shows up on your doorstep, what do you know? I can resist it. Right? I do not have to give in to this. The devil will tell you, oh, you're too weak. You can't stand. You won't make you say, shut up. If it was too big, it wouldn't be here. Right? Right. And greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. No, I don't have to yield today or tomorrow. I can stand. And I'm not letting the devil pull me out of my place. I'm getting into my wealthy place. And I'm staying in my wealthy place. And I'm not going to let sin, not going to let temptation, let these things pull me out and skew me off. No. No. Have you found Hebrews 3 there? We begin. Let's finish. Verse 7. As the Holy Ghost said, today if you will hear his voice. Do what? What's the next phrase? Harden not your heart. Say that out loud. Harden not your heart. Say it again. Harden not your heart. Say it again. 
Harden not your hearts. Now the reason I'm emphasizing this so much, this is how people miss their wealthy place. This is how people get out of the place God has for them. Because they get hard and they get unteachable and they get rebellious. And that is a condition that you get yourself to the place where God can't help you. I know that's a big statement, but I made it. You heard me say it. What do you mean God can't help you? Well, he's not going to override your will and force you to do what you're supposed to do. So if you harden yourself against him and you rebel against him, then you put your inner self where God himself is not not power-wise, but legally unable to help you. How many understand when you're in a place where God can't help you, you're in a bad way? He's not going to make you willing. He's not going to make me obey. So if we get in the place of hardness and stubbornness and rebellion, then we are in a place where we, we're going to miss the will of God. We're going to miss the plan of God. Why? Because we won't listen. So we already talked about I've talked about it. You agreed with me. I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. Is that right? Why? God loves us. Right? And why are we so confident we're going to make it? Because he's going to show us. He's going to teach us. He will adjust us. He will correct us. But what's the big, big issue here? If we'll listen. If we'll receive it. What if we get to the place where we won't listen to him? Well, then that's when you get out of his will. That's when you get out of the place where you're supposed to be. And that's when everything starts to go wrong. And the further you go with that, the worse it gets. So you are not in the wealthy place. You're in the disobedient, rebellious place, which is where they wound up in, in the wilderness for 40 years. Hold your place here in Hebrews 3 and go to Psalms again. I should have had you hold that, I guess. Psalm 68. Hold your place in Hebrews. Psalm 68, thank you, Lord. Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rides upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. How many believe that? Sometimes you hear people cry and say, well, I I never had a daddy. If you saved, you got a daddy. Is that right? Well, I ain't got no family. If you saved, you got a family. Right? I ain't got no husband. I ain't got no spouse. Let me give you some of the best advice you'll ever get in all of your life. Huh? You ready for it? Never. Ever. Ever, under any circumstances, at any time, for any reason, in any situation, never, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, (laughs) never feel sorry for yourself. Are you with me now? There is never a legitimate reason for feeling sorry for yourself. There is never a justifiable excuse. Never. To do so is to sin. 
Yeah, you heard me right. Because the Bible said, Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And feeling sorry for yourself is about as not as much of faith as you can get. Hmm? No. What if they did me wrong? What if they left me? They stole my stuff. They took my accounts. They backstabbed me. They talked about me. They stole my dog. (laughs) Well, I didn't say you had to be glad about it. But if you have faith in God, what do you say? God, give me a better dog and better friends, right? And a better job. It ain't over. It ain't over. He always causes me to triumph. And a man or woman like that cannot be defeated. You can't keep them down. But somebody that will go in there and fall on the side and pull the blinds and put a cool cloth on their head and cry. Poor pitiful man. Nobody come to check on me. They didn't even call. I guess I could just lay up here and die. Nobody would care. You keep acting like that. It could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if people could only see what they're doing. Now, all of us have, you know, made some mistakes along these lines, so don't get under condemnation. But if people could only see what they're doing, if they could see them laying up in the bed, crying and feeling sorry for this, if God had opened their eyes just a minute and let them see what they're laying in the bed with, what they are yielding to, they'd throw up for about a day and a night. And when they got through, they'd never do it again. Because when you do that, you are yielding to some of the ugliest, smelliest, stinkiest spirits around. And you're just laying there, yielding to it. And I tell you, they'll feed you. If you'll buy that stuff, they'll feed you. Nobody cares about me. And the moment you do, five ugly spirits will run to your shoulder and go, Nah, if they cared about you, they would have done this. And if they cared about you, they wouldn't have done You go, yeah, that's right. And nobody, and nobody would do this for me. And I was always trying to be a good person with them. And they never did them. And five more will come and say, that's right. And did you think about this? They didn't do this. And why weren't they there for this? And how'd they let that happen? And why didn't they do this? And you go, yeah, that's right. Why did they care about me? You are going down. Down and there's no end to it. You'll just go lower and lower and lower and weaker. And don't you think that God's going to look at you and see you're so pitiful and he's just going to feel sorry for you and bail you out because you're so pitiful. I might have used to work with grandma. You come in and act pitiful and she go, oh, baby, baby, come here, grandma. And you poke your lip out and, and act pitiful and mama, grandma, scoop you up and make your favorite soup. Well, that ain't God. Amen. I said, that ain't God. Amen. Unbelief angers him. Read the New Testament. Read the gospel accounts. Unbelief angers him. Angers him. And you never have to do that. Said out loud, never. Ever, Ever. for any reason, reason. at any time, time. in any situation, situation. never, Never. ever Ever. feel sorry sorry. for yourself. yourself. Never. Never. Don't let your mind go down that path. You'll be tempted. All of us have been tempted, you know, well, where are they? You were there for them. Where are they now? They should do this for you. I've had ministers bless their heart. They didn't expect what they got from me. 
They said, you know, God gave me this project. And I went to do it. And nobody hooked up. Where's all these pastors? Where's all these people? They're supposed to be hooking up with me. Where's all the, you know? And I just looked at them. I said, they're not your source. Amen. They ought to be helping me. Said who? Who said? Well, they, yeah. you need to hush. You need to look to God and get your eyes off men. Right? If he told you to do it, he can back you. Sometimes people branch out to do stuff and the Lord never told them to do it. Did you hear me? And they fall flat and they want to blame other people because they didn't join and bail them out. And the Lord never told them to do it to start with. Nah, if God told you to do it, I've had people come to me crying. Mother Keith, God told me to go to China and nobody has sent me and nobody helped me. And I wrote 93 letters and not one church, not one church will help me out. They may be listening to God. Do we really want to send that to China to represent us? Did you hear me now? Who's your source? Then you don't look to people. You don't look to man. You don't put any pressure on people. And you don't whine. And you don't cry because somebody didn't step up and do something for you. That was mighty weak. Come on now. We need to focus on this. There's too much of this junk going around. Too much of it. Feeling sorry for yourself. Well, they didn't call and they didn't even check on me. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. And with God, nothing is by works. Right? What does that mean? Let me say it another way. With God in all of his blessings, nothing is deserved. Nothing did you earn. It's all by grace. It's gift. If you act like you've earned it, if you act like you deserve it, if you act like it's owed to you, then he cannot be gracious to you. You've taken yourself out of the place where he can be gracious to you. I've had people come to me and say, well, I don't understand, Brother Keith. You know, ain't many. She's a fine woman. Man, she cooked all the food for the bake sales and she crocheted and made blankets and afghans and never missed a church service, walk in the rain to go to church. And Why wouldn't the Lord heal her? And they were shocked at my response. I said, what does that have to do with her being healed? Do you know the answer? Nothing. Her doing good works has nothing to do with her being healed. No, I said nothing. Nothing. You cannot buy a healing. You cannot work hard enough to earn a healing. Jesus already bought it. Already paid for it. But when you come for it, you must not come like, now God, I worked hard for you. Now you're supposed to come up, step up and do this for me. No, he does not owe you a healing. Are you with me now? No, no, no. You come and fall before the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you that in spite of my failures and mistakes, you bought and paid for healing for me. And you've already bought it for me. And thank you. It's a free gift. And I don't claim that you owe it to me or I deserve it or anything. But I thank you that you've given it to me and I receive it by your great grace. He's that way with us. 
We must learn to be that way with other people. The moment somebody, I don't care if it's your brother, I don't care if it's your sister, I don't care if it's your closest family. The moment somebody starts acting like you owe them something, that's when you start cooling off. Did you hear me? Why? Because they're not in faith. If they're in faith, they wouldn't be putting any pressure on you. And the faith man, the faith woman puts no pressure on any man or woman. You just don't. Why? Your eyes are on God. You're looking to Him. He can use whoever He wants, but that's His business. Right? You gotta watch in your finances that you don't. I've seen pastors and I've seen ministers. They get their eyes on somebody in their church. They get their eyes on some kind of big business deal. Somebody said, well, you know, man, this big business deal's going and when it comes in, we're gonna bring you all this money and it's gonna pay off your church. It's gonna buy your new building. And so they completely focus on that and they get their eyes on that. Well, we gotta believe for this to go because this is our answer. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Mm-mm. Don't you get your eyes on them. They weren't your source yesterday, and they won't be your source tomorrow. Get your eyes off of them. Say, well, hey, do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Right? But in your own heart and mind, you're saying, I know who my source is. And you can tell how true that is if the deal didn't go through, if they don't bring the check. If you got upset and you really had a big time to get through it, then that's how big you missed it. It's obvious you got your eyes on them. Right? Divorced people. That spouse is not your source. That was too weak. Hmm? The government is not your source. Mom and dad is not your source. Did you hear me now? That company you work for is not your source. What if they don't give you that raise? Does that mean you can't have the money? No, God's got a million and one ways he can bring it to you if you just believe. But you get your eyes on people and you get to feeling sorry for yourself because well, they don't recognize me. I work harder around here than anybody else. And they've passed me three times for promotion. And I just don't understand why. I know why. I heard it right then. You're not in faith. Got your eyes on man. No, faith people are happy. Faith people are free. Faith people are not down. Faith people are not pulling on anybody else. Got your eyes on God. There's only one source. One. Many channels that God uses, but only one source. One. Say it out loud. God's my source. My supply. Hallelujah. Glory. Where are you in your scriptures? That's exactly where you ought to be. <laughs> Is the Lord helping us tonight? How many believe He's helping us? Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's just lift up our hands and thank Him right now. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for helping us to grow up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We give you the credit. We give you the glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for working inside people's hearts and minds, changing us from glory to glory by the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Fill in the blank on this now. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, never. You got it? Yeah. When is it okay to feel sorry for yourself? Never, never. Could there ever be a situation that is just so bad that you got a right to feel sorry? No. There is no such situation in which you're justified. None. None. Because if you know God, you know it ain't over. <laughs> it ain't over. You just hide and watch. When the dust clears, I'll be standing here with the blessing. Amen. You just watch, right? And if you believe you've got a bright future, you ain't going to be down. Can't stay. I mean, you might shed some tears over some things and have some feelings to deal with, but you will not sit there and feel sorry for yourself. If you have to, you'll get up and through your tears, you'll shake yourself. You say, uh-uh, no, you don't. Now God's done too much for you. Get up from there. Uh-uh, no, no. Look ahead. God's got good things. He's not through with you. Good things are ahead of you. You got something to shout. Go ahead and shout by faith right now. Just tell yourself that, you know. Glory to God, I will not be moved by any of these things. I'm coming out. He's bringing me out to my wealthy place. Wealthy place. Now see, you do that at your house, in your car, on your job, no matter what's going on. The devil can't defeat you. There's nothing he can do with you. Nothing he can do with that. Psalm 68, 5. He's a father of the fatherless. See, don't feel sorry for you. Say, well, I had a rough childhood. Well, a lot of people did. That's the past. I never had a daddy. You got a daddy of daddies now. You got the daddy. Right? And if you're part of a good local assembly, you got daddies around you too. Amen. Father of the fatherless, judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains. How many believe he's a deliverer? He's a satisfier of your deepest heart's desires. But, look at this now. What? But the rebellious... Will they dwell in the place of satisfaction? Will they have a good family? Will they be delivered? No. The rebellious will dwell in a dry land. That doesn't sound good, does it? Listen to another translation. The New Living says, God places the lonely in families. If you're feeling lonely... I don't have a family. If you believe God, it won't be long, you'll have a family. Right? He said so. Stand on this word. It's what he says. Stand on it. He places the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free. And gives them joy. I like that, don't you? Well, don't you know when you've been set free from prison, you're going to have some joy? But now listen. But for rebels... There is only famine and distress for rebels. The rebellious, they don't dwell in the wealthy place. Now, isn't this such a perfect description of what we're talking about with these Israelites that God brought out of Egyptian bondage? He brought them out of the place of ungodliness. He brought them out of the place of total poverty. 
into the wilderness, which was the place of learning to walk by faith and passing tests and proving obedience to God. A place of just enough. You're not property of a man anymore. You're your own man or woman. You got silver and gold, but you're just living check to check. I mean, you're just enough. But instead of going on into the wealthy place of Canaan's land, did they not stay out there for year after year and decade after decade in a dry, dry place? And subsisted, didn't they? Hand to mouth, day to day, manna. Thank God for the spectacular provision, but this manna was not the best, richest food. It was little dry flakes. You don't die, but you ain't going, whoo, that was good. You're just eating your little dry cake. And it's year 38. And it's dry out here. And the ground is cracked. You are not in your wealthy place. Is it possible to miss the will of God for 40 years? Why? Why are they out there? Why? Rebellious. Rebellious, hard-headed, hard-hearted, rebellious. That's what will keep people out of their wealthy place. That's what will keep folks, you or me, anybody, keep them out of their Canaan's land. That's what will keep you, the rebellious. We're reading the scripture here now. God's right all the time. The rebellious, they live where? Where's their place? Dry. Parched. I mean, makes my mouth cottony just talking about it. Forty years eating little dry white flake cakes, walking over parched ground with the scorpions. Are there any Christians in that place? Are there any Christians in the world spiritually in dry places? Year after year. They're making it barely. Why? Is that God's will? Why are they there? Stubborn. I said stubborn. Somebody's down to Brother Keith. That's, you know, not every case. Read the Bible now. It's just the way it is. If it's you, if it's me, it's the same. And see, what people do is they don't want it to be that way. So they create new doctrines. That God is bringing us through this to develop our piety. And we don't understand it and we don't know why. And it's a great mystery why God would keep us out here for 39 and 40 years. But we just got to be strong and serve the Lord. And if this is his will for us, that's the question. If it was. But see, people don't want to look at it close enough to admit the reason I'm out here. I should have been in Canaan's land 38 years ago. I should have been in my wealthy place. But why are you out here? Because you're hard-headed. Because you're going to do it your way. 
because of rebellion. Oh, friends, rebellion is devilish. It's the very nature of Satan himself. It's what happened to him. He wasn't created a devil. We read about it the other night over in Isaiah 14. He wasn't created a devil. Lucifer, the anointed cherub, stood in the presence of God. He was in a wealthy place. But he got out of his place. He said, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do And rebelled against God. And how many understand? He has lost his place now. Where is he dwelling? Where is he going to dwell? Talk about dry. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> Hot, don't touch it. Don't describe it. Uh, and dry. I ain't going. I'm not going to live. Life's too short to live in a dry, barren place. No, not when there's milk and honey right over yonder. Not, not when there's riches and wealth and, and there's healing and blessing. Right over there. Right over there. All I got to do is be willing. All I got to do is soften my heart and say, Lord, whatever, whatever. I change. Show me. I repent. Whatever. And mean it. And mean it. And then when something comes up, you ain't all talk. You do it. You receive. Go with me to uh, 1 Samuel. Are you with me now? Why are people not in their wealthy place? Is it so that so many Christians, they have the idea, I'm trying to find the will of God. I, y'all pray. I've been looking for 20 years and I just can't find my place. And I, I just don't know. Uh-uh. No. Mm-mm. That's not true. That is not true. Mm-mm. I know people want it to be that way. It's kind of like not being able to lose weight. People would rather it be a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. You know, I didn't need a thing this week, and I gained 20 pounds. I said, what happened? I don't, it's a mystery. We don't know. Nobody knows. A good doctor friend of mine one time was talking about some of these things, and I got some extra pounds myself right now, but I'm not clueless about how it got there. I'm not confused. I'm very aware of how it got there. It's no mystery. <laughs> and somebody was saying, I can't understand it. I mean, I put on 40 pounds the last three or four months, and I just don't eat a thing. And this doctor, he, you know, he didn't say anything to them, but after they left, he said, that defies the laws of nature. That's what he said. That defies the laws of nature. Your body cannot produce 40 extra pounds of flesh out of thin air. (laughs) Defies the laws of nature. It had to make it out of something. Right? 
I know I was off with a friend of mine, minister friend of mine some years ago, and we went to a car show, and we did some stuff, and we got us some kind of donuts or something for it early that morning, and chocolate milk, and we got down there, and we ate corn dog and a funnel cake, and, and we stopped and got us a big hamburger on the way back in, and, and Phyllis had fixed some supper. And we pulled up, and he said, mmm, man, that's great. We had not had a thing all day long. He said, I'm so hungry. And I looked at him like, well, see, he's living in a dream world, right? And then he looked down and go, how'd that belly get there? Well, I said, people want to do that in every area of life. Why is it so bad? What's the problem, and why am I living in a dry place? It's a mystery. It's a great mystery. Nobody really knows. Why is my finances so messed up? It's a mystery. The devil just attacked me. In. <laughs> and I don't, it's a mystery. I wonder if it had anything to do with you not controlling your flesh and going wild with that credit card and not listening to God. You understand what I'm saying? People want it to be a mystery. But no, things are very, very simple if you'll admit it. If you'll admit it. And that's what we're talking about. See, playing this game with yourself about everything being a mystery, that is part of rebellion. Because there's some things in your life, you know it, you see it, but you don't want that to be it. So we're going to pretend like we don't know what that is. (laughs) God's dealing with you about something, and you know it's God, but your flesh doesn't want to hear it because it's going to mean changing my life. It's going to mean I can't do that fleshly thing I've been doing, and my flesh likes to do it. And so you see it, there it is, it's God, but your flesh don't want it to be God, because if it's God, there's nothing left to do but to do it. it. We don't want to just say, no, we ain't going to obey God. (laughs) So we got to do something else, (laughs) right? And we go, well, I, you say, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure what that is. And the moment you do that, you've opened the door wide open to the devil to deceive you. And he'll rush in and go, no, we don't know what that is. What is that? Well, you don't know. <laughs> is that God? No, no, I think God, we don't know what that is. It's a mystery. But see, that condition allows us to continue yielding to the flesh. Because we, we don't know. We don't know. It's, oh, what is that? We don't know. And after a while, guess where it don't bother you anymore? You've dulled yourself. Did you hear me? And that's when it starts getting worse fast. And folk living in the dry places, not in the wealthy place. Is it a great mystery why they can't find the will of God? This is a big deal. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There are millions of Christians that have convinced themselves, I can't find the will of God. I've tried. People have prayed for me. I fa- if I just knew it, I'd do it. I don't believe it. Did you hear me? Because I know God. He's not trying to hide his will from you. Never has, never will. I can't find, we've stumbled along for 18 years, but we just can't seem to find the will. Uh-uh, no, I'm sorry, no, no. It's not that way, it has never been that way, it'll not be that way. No, people are in the dry places, why? Huh? The rebellious dwell in a dry land. People have turned a deaf ear to what God told them. 
They've ignored. You know, uh, how many remember the Bible in Hosea? Where are you right now? That's a good place. Hold that and go to Hosea. Anybody know where Hosea is? Let's just believe God till we find him. <laughs> we see who has the most faith tonight. <laughs> What's Hosea after? Daniel. What comes after Hosea? Joel. If you're not for sure, you could probably go to Malachi and start backing up, and eventually you'd get there. Hosea. Are you there? Hosea, the fourth chapter. This is a much quoted verse of scripture, but I want you to notice that people so many times do not quote all of it. They just cut it in half and make a mistake. Hosea 4, Hosea 4, verse 6. My people, God says, are destroyed. The Hebrew literally says they're cut off. For what? And people stop right there, don't they, so many times. God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, er, period. They just stop right there. And they leave the impression, well, the problem is we don't know. If we just knew, it's a mystery. But if we knew, no, no, come on, keep reading. My people, now who's talking here? God says, my people are destroyed. They're cut off for lack of knowledge, colon. Because... You have rejected knowledge. He goes on. What's the real issue? See, in this country, for instance, there are some people that have never heard the gospel. And worldwide, there are quite a few people. But there's a whole lot of people they have heard. Did you hear me? They have heard. They've heard plenty. To get saved. They've heard plenty to get back to God. Why are they not there then? They've rejected it. There are millions upon millions. Of traditional Christians. That have heard the message on being filled with the spirit. Right? But they are not experiencing. Compared to what they could have in God. They're dry. Did you hear me? They could have so much more power in their life. They could have so much more manifestation of the supernatural. Why don't they have it? Is it just ignorance? No, what is it? They've rejected. They heard it. And they said, no, 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 we don't want that in our church. We don't believe that. No, we don't go for all that. Right? And so they live in dryness. There are millions upon millions of Christians, Christians that have heard about the gospel of prosperity, the good news about prosperity. But what have they done with it? I mean, reject it with force. No, 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 we don't believe in that. That's speaking with tongues as of the devil. Man, that's serious talk. To attribute a work of the Holy Ghost to the devil is blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Jesus had strong words to say about that. No, 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 we don't believe in that health and wealth gospel bunch. That name it and claim it and blab it and grab. No, we don't go in for all that. Well, see, they've rejected. That knowledge was available. It was there, but they've rejected it. So now they live in a dry place. 
Oh, I don't want to do that. How about you? Oh, no, say it out loud, Lord, I don't want to do that. Help me not to do that. If it's your word, I'll receive it. See, even if it's radically different from what you thought or what you've heard, if it's his word, you got to be willing to say, yeah, yeah, teach me. I'll change. But that willingness, that pliability, that yieldedness, that submission is what will get you and keep you in your wealthy place. You ever lose it and you can lose your wealthy place. Go to 1 Samuel where you're holding your place there. 1 Samuel 15. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. 1 Samuel 15. Say it out loud. God has for me a wealthy place. I'll not be kept out of it. Thank you, Lord. 1 Samuel This is the story of when Saul had become king. And the Bible said Saul was small in his own eyes when they first made him king. He was so embarrassed and timid that he ran and hid himself in the luggage. They had to go dig him out to, uh, you know, coronate him king. But that didn't last too long. He got to sitting on the big throne. He got used to giving orders and them being followed real quick. He got used to doing what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it, just any time and any way. And the man of God came and gave him a word from the Lord. Said, these people are the enemies of the people of God. You go down there and you handle the battle just this way and you don't do it any other way. You do it just this way. Well, he got down there and he decided... That it would be okay for him to make some changes. Let's just stop right there. What is that? Do we have any of that around today? Have you ever seen the thing where somebody whispers something into one person's ear. And they're going to whisper it to the next person. Whisper it to the next person. Whisper. And by the time it gets down to the end of the row. You can't even recognize it from what the first person was told. Why is it that way? Why would that be that way? It's because people do not respect what they heard enough. They feel free to make changes. They feel free to go ahead and put it in their own words. And assume they said this, but I know this is what they meant. Huh? You know what that is? It's rebellion. Now see, people don't call that rebellion, do they? That is rebellion. It's serious, serious stuff. When the Lord tells you something, how many understand you are not to add to, you are not to take away from, you are not to say, well, he really meant this. No, say what he said. That's it. Right? But what did he mean? A lot of times you just have to say, I don't know exactly what he meant. This is what he said. People feel too free. 
You know, in ministry over the years, we've run into this time and time again. You know, sometimes I'd pray half the night on how to do a certain thing. And you give people instructions and you find out the next day they did something totally different. And you think, that's not what I told you to do. Yeah, but I just knew that this is probably what you'd want. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I got it from the Lord the way he told me to do it. And I told you, and now you've changed it. That's rebellion. It is not an honest mistake. Well, we just made an honest mistake. It's not an honest mistake. It's rebellion. It's serious. It can disqualify you. Are you with me now? It's serious stuff. So he decided, well, I know he said do away with everything, but there's some fine cows over there. There's no need in doing away with all those cows and those goats and sheep, and the people would love to have some of them. So he figures he knows better. Knows better than who? Who told Samuel what to say? See, he don't realize what he's doing. He's acting like he knows more than God. And so when Samuel came to him, he walks out there and goes, you know, blessed be you of the Lord. I've done what you told me to do, what the Lord told me to do. He said, well, now, what's the bleeding of sheep out here? I thought I heard some goats when I drove in. What's those cows? What is that I hear? And he said, well, you know, the people wanted some of those. And I thought it'd be all right, you know, and I went ahead and made the call. Have you ever heard anything like that before? I went ahead and made that call. You did what? What is that? People are afraid to say it, you know, but it's rebellion. What will rebellion cause to happen in your life? It will keep you from getting into your wealthy place. The rebellious dwell in a dry land. It will keep you out of your place. And he said, no, you didn't do what the Lord told you to do. I told you what the Lord said. And you have rebelled against the Lord. You've rejected his commandment. And he has rejected you from being king. Is this serious or not? I'm telling you, people haven't seen, you know. uh, Let's believe for further revelation along this line. God, man, this is big to him. The least bit of rebellion. That's why we ought to be so strong on this with our children. It's easiest to learn these things when they're two and three and four. People say, oh, that's just the terrible tools. Look at them. They're tearing the house down. Ha <laughs> ha. Ain't it funny? I hope we get through it. It ain't funny at all. It won't be funny when you're going to get them out of jail when they're 15. And you do not have to yield to that. When you detect that, you see that little glint in their eye and you hear that, uh, that's devilish. Doesn't mean they got a devil in them. It means the enemy's trying to get them to yield to him. And you got to teach them how to resist it. Did you hear me? From the very early age, you teach them, no, no, you don't yield to that. No, you don't. No. They stomp out the room and shut the door. You ain't through. I said, you're not through. Mm-mm. Why? This is the rest of their life. What happens right now can determine whether they get married and remarried six times or not. Did you hear me? Whether they lose the first 12 good jobs God gets them or not. Did you hear me? Whether they find their wealthy place or whether they live in a dry, barren, lonely life. 
These kind of things are made right there. The course is set. And even then, how I many understand? The prophet of God is looking at you saying, you didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't do what God told you to do. He comes back and said, yes, I did. I went and did what the Lord told me to do. And I brought back some sheep and goats. But, you know, I did what the Lord. Did you hear? What is this? Oh, how I many understand a few chapters later, we see him and his boys dead on the side of a hill. Cut off in minute. Why? 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 Rebellion. Now, friend, we're not to judge each other. But you've rebelled. I've rebelled. But the thing is, do you recognize the incipient form of pride and rebellion in yourself? Do you detect it? Somebody says something to you you don't like. Something comes up. It'll come up in you. And you get this stiffness in you. And you're like, I don't have to take that. I don't, I don't have to put up with that. No. Now I submit to God, but I don't submit to any man. Famous last words. Did you hear me? Rebellion. He said, I did do what the Lord. He said, no, you did not. And he turns around and starts walking off. And this man grabs the man of God's suit and tears it off of him. How many understand? He's done. Was he done? It was just a matter of days. He's done. His course is over. His life is over. Why? He didn't realize that he's doing that to God. God's taking it personally. This man is in God's face. You don't do that. He's in God's face. I did. I did what you told me to do. I'm going to stand. The man of God tells you. God tells you. You didn't do what I told you to do. What's it time to do? Man, you better hit the ground. You better hit the floor and go, God, oh, what was I thinking? It's time to fast for three days. I'm serious. You better get serious. It's time. To seriously repent and humble yourself before the Lord because you have got off. You've yielded to this thing to where it's at the place it can completely choke off the will of God and your plan. And that's when the prophet said, read it here. First Samuel 15, verse 23. You've read it, let's think about it. He said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And it happened. Next thing you see him is out in a cave with a witch trying to get a plan. Man, that's sad. He had the anointing of God on him at one time. Another translation said, Rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Do we believe that? What if I came by your house and tapped on the door and no answer? I went around the side and looked in the window. And there you were bowing down in front of an idol. 
praying. You're burning incense. You sacrificed a rooster up there. (laughs) And I came back and I said, well, you know, everybody does a little idol worship once in a while, you know. Hmm? Would that be okay? I said, well, you know, we all do a little idol worship here and there. I mean, huh? Well, what about stubbornness? What do people think about stubbornness? People are proud of how stubborn they are. Aren't they? Proud of it. And the Bible said it is just as bad as worshiping an idol. It's just as bad as witchcraft. What if I came by and I looked through the window and I saw you had your voodoo doll. You had a bunch of stuff in your hair and you were smoking some drugs and you were poking pins in there and you had your pot boiling and some incantations and, and I came back and said, well, yeah, it's a little witchcraft. I mean, we all do a little witchcraft once in a while. What's just as bad? Stubbornness. Rebellion and stubbornness. Do we see it as bad? Do we see most people don't, do they? They don't. They go, well, you know, they're a little stubborn. And people, it's so bad but for little children. They say, well, they have their own personality. You know, they're an independent little dude. They have their own. What are they saying? Stubborn. Tell them three times and they stick their tongue out at you. And people go, well, ha ha, yeah, it's just funny. You look at, you know. Would you think it's funny if they're in there worshiping a graven image or something? Well, bless their hearts, they're just a little kid, you know. A little, little idol worship won't hurt them. I'm going to close with this, I think. I, uh, in the beginning years of the ministry, spending some extra time praying, waiting on the Lord. I saw, I was reading books, reading after other men and women of God that had been mightily used of God in their generation. And I don't mean once or twice, but time after time after time, they got off. God would use them and then they'd get off. Some of them preached error. A lot of them died young, even after they had been so marvelously used of God. And in seeing that, as the days went by and months went by, it got to weigh in on my heart some. And I began to see some of these guys, some of these people, they knew more about God, far more than I know about God. And yet they got off. They failed. They were cut short in life. It began to weigh on me. I began to realize I can't count on my superior knowledge to keep this from happening to me. I can't count on my extra extensive experience. They had a lot more of both. Then how can I keep from failing? How can I keep from getting off and teaching error and leading people astray and dying young and missing the mark? How can I? It began to weigh on me. And I remember distinctly I was supposed to minister in healing school one day and I came in the speaker's room and it was almost so strong I couldn't wait to get there. Tears were in my eyes. I fell in the floor. And just prayed and cried out to God. I said, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I don't see how I can keep from falling into some of the same snares and pits. These people knew you. I can see that. They knew you better than I do right now. And the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard a voice. Oh, but he assuaged my fears. He freed me from it. He said, son, I'm always with you. 
I'll lead you. That's where I got what I told you earlier. I'll protect you. If you get off, I'll show you. If you don't hear it the first time, I'll tell you again. If you don't get it the next time, I'll raise the volume. If you don't get it again, I'll send three people by. He said, every one of these people you've been reading about, I did that for them. I warned them. I sent people to them. I woke them up in the night. Some of them I gave dreams and visions. Some of them I gave supernatural experiences. But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hear. They hardened their heart and they stiffened their neck. He said, son, don't you be worried. Don't you be concerned about this. I'll protect you. I'll guide you. I'll hold you up with my right hand and you will not fall as long as you listen to me. Question is not, will I take care of you? The question is, will you listen? And then he said this, and I wrote it down. He said, son, your humility is your protection from deception. Your humility is your protection from deception. As long as you'll keep your heart humble, as long as you'll stay teachable and moldable and pliable, you'll be protected. God will t- How many believe God is faithful? He will show you. He's not going to leave you in the dark. He'll show you. What's the danger? Hmm? I've had people in my life. Thank God not too many times, but I've had people that told me, they told me for years. Now, Brother Keith, you know, God has used you to speak into my life. If he ever shows you anything, if he ever gives you anything, please, you know, let me know. Tell me. So years passed, nothing like that. And then the Lord got me up one night to go to them, tell them this. And they knew this is a rare thing. I believe everybody ought to be led for the self. Did you hear me? Everybody ought to be led for themselves. I go to them. I take my Bible. I take things I've written down in the nighttime. I sit down and talk with them for three hours. I say to them, don't go this way. Don't go this way. If you go this way, it's going to cost you this. And it's going to cost you this. And it's going to cost you this. Don't go this way. They sat there and they cried. And next week they went on and did it. Now see... Is that confusion? Is that ignorance? No. No. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Why? Because they have rejected. That's the danger. That's the issue. When you see it, you know it. It's there. But no. I'm not going to do it now. You're going to leave the path God has for you. You're going to go out of your wealthy place. And you are rebellious and you'll dwell in a dry land. But it never has to be thus with you. I said it never has to be thus with you. If you do what? Stay teachable. Right? Realize other people have the spirit beside you. Right? Other people hear from God beside you. Especially your elders. Walked with God five times as long as you have. Been used of God so much more than you have. Especially you got this person and that person and the other person. And God used them to try to tell you something. And nah, nah, you're the only one that knows. You're the only one that can hear from God. Well, you're going to dwell in a dry place. You'll go off into destruction. 
There's safety in your humility, in your teachableness. There's safety. It'll protect you from deception. There's been times in my life, you know. I remember not too long after starting working with Brother Hagin. Young, green. But it's kind of like teenagers. I understand teenagers, they get to a place where they think they know a lot. Don't realize how much they don't know. And I, this one particular thing started up in the country, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's it, man. Look, we've got scripture for it. Brother Hagin came out the next day and taught against it. And I'm thinking, well, we got scripture for it. But I listened. And, you know, other people were saying, well, he's getting old, you know. Yeah, they said that. One fellow said, well, you know, he's like Moses. He ain't going to go into the promised land. And God's got to raise up some of us young Joshuas. Ooh. I didn't like the sound of that. So I began backing off a little bit. And I sat and I listened to Brother Hagin. And I listened. And eventually I saw he's heard all this before. He's seen all this before. And even though it looks real good and it sounds real good to me. I'm just going to back off and watch this thing and pull back. Well, see, what's the issue? You've got to be open. No matter how much you think you know about it, you've got to be open to say, well, I could be wrong about that. And my elders think differently and they're looking differently. And a lot of times just back off and give it some time. It didn't take long. I saw, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I was just so green I couldn't see some stuff. And then when it all started coming apart, I was glad I wasn't in the middle of it. Oh, I was so glad. I wanted to just say, thank you, Brother Hagin. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for using Brother Hagin. Stand up on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.